and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. Awesome. So this week will probably sound a little different. Uh, our normal recording area that's headed up by Josh uh, is out of power right now from yesterday. There was a big thunderstorm here in Houston. Yeah, we've been having rain pretty consistently for the past couple of days. Yeah, so he's all knocked out, and so we're actually set up in Steven's living room uh, with a computer on the floor and uh, socks for for um, <laughs> pop, filters. pop filters on these mics. <laughs> um, I'm hoping he washed these. <laughs> my face is only like two inches away from it. Two inches from my nasty socks. <laughs> hey, we needed a pop filter pretty quick, and there was a sock there. <laughs> eh, it looks like it works. We, yeah. did, we did some... Uh, finagling with the audio and it sounds okay yeah i think i think we'll do good we'll be uh we'll be back in the in the regular studio next week well unless uh josh moves well it, he he is moving uh we he's moving to a, a brand new studio uh, but it's kind of up in the air we're not exactly sure when it's happening yeah when he's going to move out there yeah or in there because it's uh actually more downtown houston well, and the thing that's cool is he has a fully mobile rig. All of his recording equipment is rack mount. Uh, and so basically it it just comes down to moving it to a location and plugging it in. He's He's got this whole really cool rig. In fact, you know what? I don't think we've – have we taken a picture of his rig? We have never taken we a picture We need to take a rig. picture of his rig and, and po- uh, post it up because it's kind of the coolest thing ever. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, cool. So this week – I got a little bit more done on the SSPS analog board. Well, sort of a portion of it. It's the uh, more of the Energon cube, the whole system. Uh, we got in a huge chunk of um, uh, copper, copper rod, because we're making bus bars for all of our main input filters. Uh, so the capacitors we chose to be our main reservoir capacitor, um, they're actual screw terminal ones. So we're actually putting copper bus bar, and uh, I found out that uh, it just worked out to get a bus bar that's 5 sixteenths by 5 sixteenths, and it's about a 6-inch strip of that, a little bit over 6-inch. And the best thing was you actually calculated out the resistance of this bus bar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, it, it, it works really well because uh, back in the uh, – you remember back in physics, you had to do the calculating resistance off of resistivity, which – Resistance is equal to resistivity times length divided by area, the cross-sectional area. Yep. And since this is 5 sixteenths by 5 sixteenths, the cross-sectional area is just a square. Yep. Uh, and if you, if you do the calculation um, using the alloy of copper, which this alloy is copper 110, which is like the de facto standard for bus bar. Yeah, stuff. I think it was like 99% copper... 99.9% copper, 0.04% oxygen, and then it didn't say anything else. So other. there's just a bunch of, yeah, other crap. It did say <laughs> slight traces of silver, so. Yeah. Um, other may contain unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, what's the metal that uh, Wolverine's claws are made out of? Adamantium. 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 Yeah, just a little bit of adamantium. Unobtainium is. Oh, uh, that was a. That was, uh, uh, Avatar, yeah, James Cameron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the first time the I saw thing, that, I was like, "Really? No, the thing really?" Is, I didn't realize it until like I went back after watching that movie. Yeah, and I'm like, 
do they really? Because like they said, entertaining, and I'm like, I, I just like, I just got glossed over for yeah, how yeah. bad that movie actually is. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and the then first I look time... back and I'm like, really? <laughs> first time I saw that, I was like, how about can't find him or <laughs> really rarium? You know, like uh, it's just rarium. Uh, it's it's just that killed me. That absolutely killed me. Um, regardless, uh, the these copper bus bars calculated the resistance of the bars out to be 0. .00458 ohms or 4.58 milliohms uh which is pretty low it's a little bit higher than i actually thought it was going to be just cuz if you look at these bars they're they're huge in comparison to just like you know 14 gauge wire yeah 18 gauge wire um but you know it sounds sounds a bit reasonable and i actually tried to measure it and with a standard like bench meter, you can't really measure resistance that low. It's gonna, because they all don't really have um, uh, significant figures down that low. So at least our like budget ones that we have at work. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I mean like pretty much any standard handheld's not gonna get down there unless you get a specific like a meter 16, for six and a half digit. Yeah, yeah right. And <laughs> I go go see how much of a, a six and a half digit fluke costs. You know, that's going to be through the roof. Uh, we'll have to trade in our unobtainium for it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh. so I actually tried to uh, measure it, and the way I did it was I just shorted our power supply across the bar and put it at the maximum current that it could go, which, which is three amps. Uh, and, then I, and then I took a separate meter and measured the voltage at the very ends of the of the bar so i could get the just the voltage and i knew that the current flowing through it i actually confirmed the current was three amps on the nose um and so after calculating work uh you know getting getting my voltage my current i found that it was about 2.5 milliohms is what i could get and you know throw in some margin of error it's pretty close to my calculation yeah so yeah pretty pretty fun uh little project yeah 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 it's a. Uh, it's fun to have to think of a new way to measure resistance when you really can't measure. Yeah, when resistance. you can't really measure it. Yeah. I wonder how much. Uh, I wonder. Did you actually calculate how much amperage we could flow through that bar before it starts getting warm? Uh, I guess you have to define what warm means. Yeah, I guess like a twenty degree centigrade increase. Now you. Now I want to go do that calculation. Yeah. I'm gonna figure <laughs> that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you three amps is not that. Three amps? No, probably more like three hundred. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds excessive. And then how much we would have to get the melt start melting it? Okay, we're we're gonna have to get back with these calculations because <laughs> those sound great. Yeah, we'll post it on Twitter uh, tomorrow. Cool. Um. So yeah. Also, uh, this week I I've been uh, working a bit more with the macro amp. Um. I got the board all populated and soldered up. And for those that, um, I guess we didn't really explain last week what the macro amp was. Um, we talked about it a couple times, but I think yeah. um, it's the amplifier that we're uh, that Steven's designing that has the uh, new tubes on it. Yeah, the cork new tubes. So this is the first tube design in the last 50 years or something like that. And uh, I've been trying to be one of the first guys in the world to have a new tube design available for people to check out. So uh, it's actually... It's up on GitHub, I believe. Yeah, no, I updated it. So, uh, so that's up on GitHub if you guys want to check it out. 
Um, and I'll be posting some more images soon. So now that the board is effectively done, I need the box. Uh, and I think I'm going to go with Parch Badger just because they can do black anodizing and they're fairly cheap. Yeah, you just, the best thing about them is you just send your, your design off and then two weeks later it shows up done. Yeah, it's like, just like magic. It's like magic. Yeah. So what you been up to? Uh, so I've been this week has been kind of more like paperwork kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, redesigning the well, not really redesigning, but basically updating all the eagle footprints. There's been some there were some issues with some of the like silk screen and that kind of stuff. So we've been fixing. I've been fixing all that stuff up. Um, rebuilding all those up and also making it so that our our MacFab part libraries, when you use a part, it automatically matches to the house part. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that all works now. Um, so that's that's one of those uh, kind of important things that's been kind of being put on my desk to do. Gotcha. Um, I also updated the uh, Eagle ULP to pull in more information like, do you want the part populated or do you not want it populated? Or do you want the... Uh, is your value feel different from your manufacturer part number? Like if you have a 330 ohm resistor and you want a EGE, I can't remember the, I think it's EG. Uh, I can't remember the part number for Panasonic. I was, I was hoping I could just rattle off like a part. Isn't number. it ERJ? ERJ. Yeah. yeah. Panas- <laughs> ERJ six something, something three, three, one. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> or 330 the, the, the 331 has to be in there somewhere. It's somewhere. Yeah. Um, the best thing about Panasonic is the, you can just immediately know that that's a Panasonic part number. Yeah. they always have three three uh, characters, then a hyphen, and then something else. Those three characters give it the uh, like it's series. It's series, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that covers like all of Panasonic parts. Their capacitors, resistors, all that stuff. Yeah, I love it. You just memorize their pattern, and you're good to go. Yeah. They're, they have one of the easier patterns, too, because they're shorter. Everyone else, like, let's say, like, uh, it's Kemet. I think it's Kemet. Kemet's got, For like, capacitors? A, yeah, Kemet capacitors. There's a, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Kemet. They have, like, a ridiculously, like, 25 characters or something like that for a part number. Oh, yeah, they, they do the ones that are, like, um... Oh, they start with a G. Um, oh, I can't remember it. No, that's not. Kemet doesn't start with a G. That's is, the, it, is it uh, AVX? or? Oh, man, I can't remember which one starts with G. So, so the um, Vichy, I love Vichy's. Yeah, the um, VJ starts with. Or, or they have another one that's um, CRCW. Yep. And then it's the package four, size. And then the package size, then the value size. And it's just, oh, it's perfect. Yep. Simplify your part numbers. Yeah, and we'll <laughs> buy them just because the number's simple. <laughs> or you can just memorize it, so that way you don't actually have to look up the part number. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I know a you know, a 4.7K resistor exists in this package. Right. And just plunge it in. Bam. Yeah, done. also, don't ever uh, make your part numbers obsolete because then we have to memorize a whole brand new part numbering system. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, – Working more on USB Type C. Cool. Um, I actually got uh, a Type C connector hooked up to an FT230X, which is the FTDI chip, uh, USB 2.0 to serial bridge. I got that working. Um, 
I, I basically just like jumped wires and it looks pretty ugly, but it actually does work. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um, but yeah, so basically all I had to do was take the CC1 or CC2 pin. It doesn't matter which one it is. Mm -hmm. And then you pull one of those pins to ground with a 5.1K resistor. And I think the spec is like a 10% resistor. Yeah, didn't you use two 10Ks? In, yeah, I used in two parallel? 10Ks in parallel. Nice. I didn't have a I didn't have a 5.1K. <laughs> Close enough, right? <laughs> hey, it worked. I guess that's the bottom side of 10%. Yeah, the bottom side. Hey, whatever yeah, it works. works. I wouldn't um, be surprised if you could go lower than that and still be fine. Yeah. You just pull a lot of current, or not a lot. You pull more. No, yeah, yeah. Um, and so then I've been working on this layout for the Type C connector to make it so it will work with our uh, our standard like PCB uh, specification. Yeah, because it's actually really hard to get these traces out of this twenty four pin connector. That's what people don't realize is Type C has twenty four pins. In the same area that the old connector that had five pins in. <laughs> right. So you got uh, you have a five almost a five X density on the part. Yeah. And the great thing with, with USB type C is it supports USB two point and for two point you only need two data lines to come out of it. Right, because it has what four pairs? Four pairs. Yeah. But you don't yeah. need all those pairs for two Right. You can just ignore them. And well, so, but but anyone who's really going for the full functionality is gonna have a multi-layer board anyway, correct. so it's it should be easier to route. Yes, so, but I'm trying to get Type C for USB 2.0 to work with our standard, and I'm almost there. On two layer, two layer. Wow. Yeah, so it'll work. This way, people can easily update the, their uh, 2.0 like micro USB designs to Type C by just going bloop, plopping this thing in. That's cool. Use it like a template. Yeah, it'll be a template. That's cool. Yeah, so because the uh, Macrofab standard is uh, five mil trace width, five mil between each trace, twelve mil drills with six mil annular rings. Right. That's that's the minimum for standard. Yes. Manufacturing. And right? you have to do that to make it work. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's that's the minimum for it to work. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm actually using a connector that's like a hybrid it's got half of the pins are smt and the other half are through hole is it for like mechanical stability no makes it easier to route huh that's cool yeah because that way you're you're basically your one row that's through hole you can exit on the bottom side and the other ones you exit on the top side ah that's that's kind of cheating yeah it's pretty sweet <laughs> 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 because you can't do it otherwise because the trick is, on, on Type-C is, because it's reversible, mm -hmm. you have um, the data minus and data plus on both sides of the connector. And on your device side, you have to tie those pins together um, yeah. with traces. And if, you're, have, uh, if you have four S&D connector uh, traces, you can't actually cross them without a VIA. Right. You can't get a VIA that's with a 12 mil hole to fit in that spot. Right. So you have to go with this, like, cheating, as you say, connector. <laughs> but then it works. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's 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 cool. I like the I like the hybrid mentality there. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool connector. So, 
Awesome. I guess I'll post the connector in, in the blog post for people to look at. Yeah. And we'll be uh, – I'll be pushing the big update to the libra- uh, Eagle Part Library uh, probably Friday. So it'll be tomorrow. Is that connector available on Mauser? It's on Mauser. Awesome. Yeah, so we'll push that big update for all the parts tomorrow. I actually just finished it today. And then next week I'll probably work on dip trace, get all that stuff done, and then we'll be rolling out finally the KeyCAD stuff. Probably awesome. in two or three weeks. Yeah, good times. Get lots of parts. And uh, I guess that's going to be it for what we've been doing this week, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to roll on to the RFO? Yeah, we'll do the RFO. Awesome. So, going more on consolidating companies, I guess. We it, talk about this a lot. It's happening a lot. And it happens every week now. It's it's crazy. Everything's kind of crushing together. Yeah, so Analog Devices, ADI, mm-hmm. is uh, buying Linear Tech, LT. Both companies we've bitched about a lot <laughs> on the show. Um, but yeah, but for $14.8 billion. The crazy thing, these have been really... These are two highly competitive companies against each other. Yeah. Um, they both are in the same space. Well, and that's that's why it makes sense for them to come together. I mean, they both consume the whole amplifier and analog and linear IC, uh, and they have a whole bunch of power management ICs. They they just command that space. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been thinking a little bit about this, and uh, – I've always noticed basically analog devices. Their their uh, data sheets are kind of crap. Um, <laughs> Who do we say doesn't have crap data linear sheets? Linear tech. Linear. <laughs> <laughs> Who's getting bought out? <laughs> <laughs> so you, so so maybe the data sheets are going to get better, is what you're saying? Or worse? Yeah, I guess it could go either way, right? It could go either way. But uh, hopefully, the people who write the data sheets for linear tech stay on and don't get cut in the merger, you know, layoff crap. Yeah, yeah. You know, come to think about it, all the figures and the diagrams in Linear Tech are really nice. They're really crisp and clean. They're very nice and clean. I think they're probably in vector format, which is why. Um, yeah. They put them on the, data, on the data sheets. But they also have really good sample schematics for how to make their shit work. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, no, they, they totally do. Yeah, good app notes, good – yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put the but they're expensive. Linear tech or, is expensive. Yeah, they're expensive. Or you can't buy them. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing to think about is uh, LT Spice. What's going to happen with that? It's going to be called Analog a- Spice? A- analog Spice? Uh, it doesn't work as well as ADI LT Spice. spice? Yeah, ADI Spice doesn't really roll off the tongue. So is it uh, is it analog technology or linear devices now? I like analog technology. Analog technology, yeah, that sounds that sounds alright. But I think it's a buyout, so it'll probably just be ADI still. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're just gonna. It's like when Microchip bought Atmel. It's not gonna be Micromel. But they're still, like we said last podcast, they're still pumping out AVRs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I wonder if they'll update the look. Like it'll, the AVR will come out and it'll be AVR by microchip on data sheets. Just to make sure everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> and then be like one guy that's like always under a rock and goes, What happened? 
chosen one, Atmel. <laughs> Microchip. Microchip has some awesome uh, beginner-level um, ADCs and uh, DAX. Yes, I do. I, I was just MCP actually noticing. something, something, something. Yeah, MCP, and, and they end with like 10, 11, 12 or something like yep. that for 8, 10, and 12-bit. Or I think it's something like that. Basically, wherever the part fell on the wafer. Yeah, yeah, so probably. So if it's more towards the center, it's probably a 12-bit, and it's on the edge, it's the 8-bit. Yeah, you know, that that makes sense. I bet you it is something of that sort. But but I've noticed that a lot of open source projects and hacker projects and not necessarily, like, high-level professional projects, uh, more of the just, like, hobbyist stuff, use those ADCs. And I was looking it up the other day. Their data sheet for those is really well done. Yes, It's they are. really easy to read, and it's really easy to get if you don't know how to use one. And they're also very easy to get data from it. Yes. Because uh, yeah. uh, most of those are I2C or SPY, yeah. and it's very easy to get information from these devices. Well, and the data sheet is super clear about here's SPY, here's how it works, here's what you need to do. Uh, it, it doesn't assume that you have a ton of previous knowledge, yep. and it just kind of gives it to you. And I was like, hey, Microchip did those couple chips they did them very well okay so um we have avnet now is uh farnell was going to be bought out by dateweiler datweiler it's it's swedish yeah it looks like dateweiler dateweiler um but apparently avnet has won up them on the bid to six uh 691 million dollars to buy farnell out hmm. so we already have Farnell's already hemorrhaging their their current crap, um, <laughs> like cats. Eagle Eagle Catsoft has already been sold to Autodesk. Yeah, and so I guess that's like who gets the rest of the chunks. And so Avnet is a U.S. part supplier. Yeah, like Farnell is a U.K. part supplier. Um, actually, I had no idea what Datewiler is, besides it's Swedish. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know myself. Um. But yeah, Farnell, uh, they also own Element 14. That's kind of a big deal in the hackerspace area. And uh, they also distribute the Raspberry Pi, which is interesting. And I wonder if Avnet wants to get either in that area or they just want the distribution stuff that Farnell has in, in the UK. They just want a slice of the pie. Yeah, I think they just want to expand their, their uh, distribution network. I don't think they really care about Element 14 or any of that crap. Yeah, probably not. But it's it's just crazy all these it seems like all of these buyouts it's it's not uncommon for buyouts to happen. It's just why are they all happening in such a short time frame? Uh so the last couple of years, you know, we've pretty much had a global recession. Yeah. Right? And so in that period of time, everyone just holds on to their money. And so you have all these companies that for the past like five years have held on to their money and now they have lot their coffers are full. And so like where, how do we grow now? Spend all that cash. Well, just buy out the competition or... Or, or expand horizontally by buying someone else out. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, like SoftBank buying uh, um, uh, ARM. Right, right, that was, right. That was a horizontal... No. I guess that would be a horizontal and a vertical stack buy. 
Well, but the, they were. Uh, I think that they're doing that as a strategic move towards the telecom yes. industry. That, yeah. uh, so that's a vertical buy then. Yeah, I guess. We're, we're venturing into the areas that we're, we have no idea. We, what we're yeah, talking we're, about. we don't know what we're talking about. It's like ninety percent of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. I bet you there's some business guy out there who's listening to it. He's just like, "Oh no, this is all wrong." <laughs> 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 oh man. Okay, so on the last thing is the uh, we talked about Pokemon Go a bit. Um, everyone talked about has yeah, been talking about has. Pokemon Go. Uh, so Hackaday has a couple articles about hacking it. Hacking Pokemon Go, um, all that stuff. And most of these guys are using GPS spoofing by either using, like, a signal-defined radio. Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty cool. Or hacking the actual, like, underlying software kernel, um, which is pretty cool. But then I was thinking, I'm like, what if you try to do a direct hardware attack? Which I haven't seen anyone try to do yet. What? How would you do a hardware attack? So, open up the phone. Okay. Pull the accelerometer off. Solder two wires on probably it's either I square C or Spy. Okay. And and just pipeline in and data. And pipeline your own data in. Just into the accelerometer though. Well, that's you'd be your first start because that's usually the accelerometers on on these phones are, um, are actually like off-shelf parts. Yeah. That you can you can just look at the part, get the part number, get the data sheet, and then get a fast enough either FPGA or fast enough MCU and spoof the accelerometer. Okay. So you send basically fake accelerometer data. Like you can make it so the phone thinks it's flipping upside down where it's just staying still because you can just give it whatever data you want. Right, right, yeah. Then you take it a step further and do the same thing with the GPS with the module. G yeah, because the accelerometer thing, uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what the game uses the accelerometer for, but it certainly uses the GPS. And if yes. you could, if you could pipeline in your own garbage data, or I guess it's not garbage. No, it's not garbage data. Yeah, uh, just uh, very directed, pointed data. Data. Yeah, you can say, and like, so all you have to do is get, you know. Get your Sailie or, or Bus Pirate, yeah. hook up to the data lines on the GPS. Yep. And if you can get the data sheet for the GPS, this would be super easy at that point. If you can get the data sheet, boom, done. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you can't, then you're going to have to reverse engineer the interface. But if you get the data sheet, you're essentially done. Yeah, yeah. You just you just keep feeding it tons yeah. of data. Yeah, you just hook up an FPGA, emulate the interface. Done. Yeah. yeah, done. Then, then you could essentially make and the because a lot of people are like, oh man, you know, if the actual company cares about you know you hacking the game, they can actually detect these other methods. Yeah, they they. Yeah. Well, if you use this method, uh, you could send any GPS location at any time. Correct. In other words, you could teleport. Yes. Uh, you you. Could well, they, that's all. That, that's how they do that with the uh, signal to find radio stuff. Right. But when they do the signal to find radio stuff, usually the phone is sitting in a Faraday cage, and so they, if they actually looked at the accelerometer data, it's like you're not moving that fast. <laughs> but if you can pipe in your own accelerometer data, so you could uh, uh, you could put this on a on a shaker table. And have it shake so the accelerometer will. Oh, it's actually, going crazy. So, the, so it's going crazy. So even if it does shake the accelerometer, it's like, yeah, something's happening. Yeah, something's happening. 
But I, I want to see someone try to do a, a more direct hardware level attack on on this stuff. I bet you there is. I bet you I just got to go online and Google, you know, hardware attack on GPS module and cell phone, and then I bet you that will pop up. Huh. We should we should we should look further into that. Yeah. I might I might be willing to sacrifice a cell phone to <laughs> give it a shot. <laughs> Cell phone that actually runs Pokemon Go. Yeah, because that would be that would be cool. And I wonder. I guess it depends on the GPS. I know the most accelerometers are like a or a, a QFN package, and so it's actually when we desolder it, it'll be pretty easy to hack it. Uh, I don't know if a GPS module is going to be probably a BGA or maybe it'll be a module encapsulated module. It but, might be castellated, but I bet you in a phone it's going to be a, a BGA. Yeah, it might be easier to hack like a uh, something that's bigger, like a tablet, so they have less reason to shrink stuff down on the circuit board. Yeah, and come to think about it, G- the GPS module you probably have to have a couple GPIO. Uh, because it's going to be doing some extra talking. Yeah, like an interrupt or a hardware interrupt flags and stuff like that. Well, and, yeah, uh, things, you know, establishing communications and, and um, you know, just a whole bunch of flags and things like that. I bet you it has – because, I mean, last time I looked at a bunch of GPS modules, they were rarely, like, four-pin guys, you know? Now, I wonder if you can get um – because I actually have a couple like these like standalone R- uh, Android boards that have GPS on them. Yeah. And they are separate modules. Okay. I wonder if you can get Pokemon. I don't know if Pokemon Go like limits itself what hardware it runs on. Like it has to be a Nexus 7 phone or it has to be like a phone phone or a tablet. It can't just be like generic hardware. Because if it's just, you know, like it, it like actually looks for what device you're on. I, it probably cares more about the OS. If your phone or your tablet or whatever device is running that OS, then that means it's compatible with. Yeah, I got to give that a shot. I got some old, you know, they're still running the latest Android or late-ish Android, and uh, I wonder if I can install Pokemon Go. Yeah, give it's it a shot. Work. And that way, because that because actually all those modules I have all the dash sheets for. So you could hack it. Could hack it. Sounds like we got a project. Yep, sounds like we got it. Or someone will beat us to the punch. Yeah, right. <laughs> please, please. Yeah, yeah. Someone else do this, <laughs> please. Do this. <laughs> well, cool. I'm. Uh, our, our, we're at the bottom of our sheet. Yeah, I think that, I think that's good. And this uh, sock is. Ah, uh, it's not smelly. It, so that's good. I told you it's it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> Well, that was the uh, MacFab Engineering Podcasts. We were your host, Parker Dillon. And Stephen Craig. Catch you next time. Take it easy.